0: If <laughs> it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, you go ahead and have a seat. Go ahead and make your way back to your seats, and we'll go ahead and get started with our message tonight. You'll open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. We're going to be in chapter 23, as we have been for the last few weeks, looking at a short series of verses, verses 23 through 25, talking about the feast of trumpets and so starting in verse 23 it says and the lord said to moses say to the israelites on the first day of the seventh month you are to have a day of sabbath rest a sacred assembly commemorated with trumpet blasts do no regular work but present a food offering to the lord so let's go to the lord in prayer father god again we thank you for this day god we thank you for a chance to open your word Uh, We thank you for the blessings of your word. We thank you um, of how we see such a clear picture of your gospel, of the goodness and blessing and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. God, we see uh, clearly the life that he has called us to, the hope that he has called us to. And so we thank you for the blessings of your word. We ask that you would use your word to shape your people through the power of your spirit um, as we study together today. Father, we pray for uh, your spirit to move among the churches of Blunt County, uh, that you would bring revival to our community, that uh, through the preaching of your word, as the gospel is proclaimed uh, each week um, and each day and each hour by uh, faithful followers of Christ uh, in, in our community and in their workplaces, in our schools, um, in our families, God, that you would, uh, that the wind of the spirit would blow, and that you would draw people to yourself, you know, that their their hearts would be changed, um, and that they would turn to your Son Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Father, that's what we ask for ourselves. We ask that for our own families. We ask that for our own congregation, and we ask it for uh, each and every Bible believing church in our community. And God, and we ask that um, you would take that, uh, and God, that it would spread even beyond our community into our and to our region, our state, um, and to the world. God, that you would use us um, to proclaim your gospel. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so we're just going to kind of jump in uh, to, to talking about the festival or the feast of trumpets. Obviously, as we look at that passage that we started off in Levit- Leviticus, there's not just a ton um, of content there, right? Uh, we we last week we had a much longer section um, when we talked about uh, the feast of Pentecost, and and so um, we don't have as much um, uh, context. And actually, that sort of fits as we work through um, the rest of the scriptures. and We're going to see how that is the case. Um, but what we start out with, and and the thing that stands out probably to us most as we read just those. Three short verses. Again, we see Sabbath rest. Again, we see a day of no regular work. Again, we see the presentation of an offering. Again, we see a sacred assembly, which we have seen at each of these festivals that are commanded in Leviticus chapter 23, but with a specific unique element. And that is with this uh, blasting or blowing of trumpets. All right. Now, here's an interesting thing about this passage. When you look at it in the Hebrew, there's actually not any reference to trumpets per se. There's not a word that means trumpet that is found in this passage. But the word that it says there is commemorate this day with teruah. All right. Teruah has different connotations. It is sometimes a shout. So sometimes in the scriptures when it talks about the teruah, it's talking about a shout. Other times it is talking about a blast of noise presumed to be from a trumpet. And so the 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 idea here is that there's an assumption made that when we're talking about this festival, that the teruah that is being mentioned, this blowing, this blast is the blowing of a trumpet. All right. And that's sort of been accepted by um, Israel and, and uh, the Jewish people and then on into the church age. And that has been the assumption. So when we look at the Bible, there's actually two basic kinds of trumpets that... Israel would use and that the Bible commanded, all right? There was a first kind of trumpet that was a metal trumpet. So we see this written about in Numbers chapter 10. It's called the, let me try to get it right, the Hatsatserah. The Hatsatserah, okay? It's a metal trumpet. It was used um, uh, partially as like a, sort of like a loudspeaker at organization, uh, Gatherings and stuff. So when everybody got together in a certain place and they needed people to move from this place to this place, particularly in the time of the Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness, they would use these particular metal horns to sort of organize the people. And it had other functions too, but probably the case is, is that the horn that has been most in view in terms of this festival of trumpets throughout history has been the one that's called the shofar. All right. The shofar is the ram's horn. Uh, typically. Sometimes it can be an antelope horn, because antelope are another animal. You've probably seen pictures of antelope, right? They have those long kind of skinny horns that, that go up. Um, antelope horns are used sometimes. Interestingly, cow horns are never used, okay? Um, they never use cow horns as uh, shofar horns, and so nobody's exactly sure why that is, but there's suspicion that it is tied to the to the golden calf incident. And so it's sort of saying, Yeah, yeah, we don't want to have anything, we wanna separate that idea out of it, okay? And so probably I think for for maybe uh Westerners, sort of in our own mythology and, and in a whole lot of the um uh sort of ancient uh horns made out of uh horns. Um, we would think more of a cow horn. So like I was saying, obligatory Lord of the Rings reference, right? The horn of Gondor seems to be a cow horn. Like it's, at least in the movies, it's shaped like a cow horn. That's not these. Uh, These are these long uh, curling ram horns, all right? Now, that's, again, not just for the fact that they didn't use cow horns, but they used a ram's horn for a particular reason. Right, because the ram's horn. Why was it used? Well, it starts to again make associations in our heads with different things that went on throughout the history of Israel. So they would blow this horn at the feast of trumpets, and there are different timings and different rhythms, and and there's a whole there's a whole ceremony that that grew up around that. But the blowing of the shofar, the ram's horn. Zoomed in on certain key moments in Israel's history, all right? And we can just easily start thinking back about some of those, right? Um, we think about the story of, of Abraham and Isaac when he takes him up to the mountain, that precursor story of the gospel where uh, Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac, and then at the last moment, a ram is found Uh, Trapped in the thicket, Um, we presume by his horns, he's got his horns tangled in the thicket, and that sacrifice that the Lord provided becomes the sacrifice in place of Isaac. Um, Other places we remember, when um, the Lord's people come to Mount Sinai, it says this in Exodus 19, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick clouds on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So that all the people in the camp tremble, right, so as the people of Israel are standing at the base of Mount Sinai, um, knowing that they are in some way going to meet God in a in a atypical way that day, they hear this noise and thunder coming from the mountain, but one of the things they hear is this blast of trumpets. the trumpets aren 't coming from Israel, all right the trumpets are coming from somewhere else. They're coming from, I mean, we can talk about it however we want to, from heaven, uh, from from angel choruses. They are announcing the presence of God there at Sinai. And then uh, he descends in smoke and fire on the mountain. And so there's this picture of majesty and grandeur and, and a right kind of terror that the people have. And it goes on to say in verse 19, it says, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered in the thunder. Okay. And so, so the people look back, they hear this sound of trumpet and it reminds them of this event that had taken place where they met God at Sinai and this, and it was accompanied by this growing, uh, supernatural sound of trumpets. Right, we see those these we see those the, the the ram's horn and the trumpet come in at other places at the at the battle of Jericho. Right, um, we see this same um, idea play heavily into it. And so, for one, the ram's horn makes the people of Israel remember key points in their redemptive history. All right, that's part of the significance of it. All right. A second piece of its significance, kind of tied to that Exodus passage that we just read, is the fact that horns have always been associated with majesty, with grandeur, okay? When the king is coming into the city, like, you don't bust out the violins and go, ah, nee, 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 right? that's not what you do, right? That's when the trumpets come out. Because there is something intrinsically majestic and, and, and loud, and, and however you want to talk about it, that represents... God's kingly rule, his sovereign rule, his majesty, his grandeur, okay? And so, again, there were other instruments, you know. Uh, uh David played the harp or the lute or whatever it was that he played, right? Um, that's a great instrument, and you can give honor to the Lord in that way. But that wasn't what they used in these contexts. And it's because the trumpet has a particular association with it. And lastly... They did it particularly as a symbol of warning and alarm because that's what trumpets were also used for. They were used as warning calls, all right? So if there was an invader to the city, if there was an army approaching, if there was any kind of thing like that, you would use a trumpet to announce, um, you know, for the people in the fields to come back into the city or um, for, the, for the guards to get to the gates or the guards to get to the city walls or, or whatever the case is. Um, the Feast of Trumpets itself took on a, a warning function in the liturgical life of the people of Israel, okay? And so what we find is that that Feast of Trumpets was a 10-day period leading up to the next feast that we'll talk about next week, which is the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, all right? So these 10 days um, were referred to, and again, I'm going to try to say the Hebrew word without messing it up, The yamim noraim, which means the days of awe or the days of repentance. It was 10 days leading up to the day of atonement in which as these horns would blow, as these shofars were blown throughout the community, it was a reminder. It was a warning call. It was a call to attention to say, hey, people of Israel, In 10 days' time, we will meet the Lord. In 10 days' time, we will have to stand before him, or the high priest will have to stand before him in our stead at the yearly sacrifice of the Day of Atonement of Yom Kippur. So people of Israel, be warned, be ready, prepare your hearts for that day. All through the Scripture, we see this, the, the 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 trumpet being talked about as a symbol of warning and and awareness. Uh, Joel, who we quoted last week, Joel's got a lot of connections to some of these things. Joel says, "Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is close at hand. All right, that is the exact kind of warning." That the people of Israel would be thinking of as they came to the day, uh, to the festival of, of trumpets, and to these ten days, the Yamim Noraim, the days of awe. All. all right. So over and over again, in in all three of those situations, we see this idea of remembrance. We see the idea of warning, and those are critical themes in the life of of Israel, certainly, but really in the life of any community or any individual individual person. Warning. And remembrance. Because the reality is, is this, when we forget, when we fail to remember, when we forget, we find ourselves prioritizing what is false. We find ourselves prioritizing what is less important. We put things in our lives in the wrong order. And that brings a lot of heartache into our lives. When we forget the things that we should have remembered and lived our lives according to and more moreover when we are not warned we are lulled into a false sense of security we are lulled into uh, a sense of apathy that ignores the reality of the fact that a day of judgment is coming all right a day is coming when we will have to answer to the lord now obviously that that day of judgment that is coming is very different for a person. Who is a follower of Jesus Christ, right? Those are very different things than a person who is lost. And yet it shouldn't be the kind of thing where we go, Oh man, I can't, uh, I can't wait to meet him, right? It's going to be fine. Like just, everything's going to be, there will be a seriousness on that day. There will be an account taken. When we talk about that passage, which talk, when it talks about how our works will be judged and they will be burned up in the fire. And the things that were worthwhile will last. The things that were not worthwhile will be burned up. And the person who has no works that survive will still escape, but he will escape as one going through the fire. That doesn't sound like a, like a, hey, I made it through the fire, right? It's not that kind of event. And so the warning is still there, even for the follower of Jesus Christ, even for the person who has truly placed their faith in him. There is the warning to say, we need to be ready. We need to be waiting. We need to be prepared for his coming. Now, um, I think there's an interesting illustration of the nature of this festival and how it played out in history. And it ties into sort of the, the meaning that it has in our lives. I know that sounds complicated. Let me Let me explain what I mean by that. So you may or may not be aware of the fact that the Feast of Trumpets actually has two names. It's called two different things. One of them is Yom Teruah, right? Which again means the day of sounding, the day of blowing the trumpet, right? That's the first name that the, 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 the festival is given. But there's a more common name for it used today. And that name is the, Fe- the Feast of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year, Okay. Those are two different ideas. One of them is the idea of this blowing of the horn in remembrance and warning. The other one is to mark the beginning of the new year. All right? Now, if you're paying attention, you might notice a problem with that, that Rosh Hashanah would mark the beginning of the new year because what did it say in our passage? It said, in the seventh month, on the first day, Do these things. So how is it that in the seventh month, we are celebrating the beginning of the year? Well, the answer is, is Israel actually has two different calendars that they run off of. They have a civil calendar, you might say, and they have a redemptive calendar. So we read a few weeks ago about the fact that Passover was celebrated when? On the 14th day of the first month. So that's roughly in our time around April, okay? Around when we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. How can this month be the first one and yet the beginning of the year be in October? Because there's two different calendars, all right? So the civil calendar of Israel is still basically based around the agricultural year, and we've talked about that as we've gone through each festival too. So, as we said, you get to the fall, and we've celebrated the beginning of the barley harvest. With Pentecost, we celebrate the end of the wheat harvest, and with this fall set of of uh, festivals, we celebrate the end. Excuse me of the wheat uh, of the fruit harvest. All right. So, just as it is in our country. You get to about mid-October and everything's done, all right? Christy and I were in um, Georgia this weekend and there was an apple picking farm that she had taken the kids two years ago and she thought, I wonder if we have time to pick apples this today. So she looked it up online and this weekend was a special weekend and it was this weekend where you got to come in with a bag or as many bags as you wanted and you got to pay five dollars and you got to walk into the orchard and pick anything you wanted and walk out with it, okay? For $5, yeah, they called it the gleaning, interesting. We, we've talked about a kind of gleaning. Why are you allowed to get so many apples for just $5? Well, the reason is because harvest is over, okay? There's almost nothing left on the trees at this point. So you're sort of picking and finding the ugly ones and stuff like that, and the stuff that's falling to the ground and the ones that were too high up and the whatever, okay? Because the harvest is over. The harvest is over in Israel. This is the end of the, of the harvest. So that means at the end of the agricultural year, we're beginning the new agricultural year that starts in winter. All right. But here was the key. God had shifted Israel's calendar to not be punctuated by agriculture, but to be punctuated by redemptive events. So what that means is he made the new first month of the year to coincide with the Passover. So that at the beginning of the year, you wouldn't th- be thinking about, oh, it's time to start the harvest cycle over again, but you would be thinking about the beginning of the year for the people of Israel is the redemptive event that happened at the Passover. All right. But here's the interesting thing. Over the centuries, Israel had a tendency to shift back to the Rosh Hashanah idea. To shift away from the redemptive calendar and shift back to the civil calendar. Now, I don't want to overstate that because it is totally the case that they recognized they had two different calendars. Um, Obviously there was still worship and Thanksgiving that goes on at Rosh Hashanah. Um, They are, it's a time of repentance and introspection as they, as they head towards Yom Kippur. And so I'm not saying that they just completely ignored God or the religious. side of the holiday or anything but what I am saying is there's an interesting thing there where Israel continues to count her days by sort of the the typical cyclical normal way that the whole rest of the world counts their days as opposed to the unique redemptive aspects that God has has initiated in her midst all right so um I think there's something, there's a principle there that we can see because it's, it, it ties in perfectly with the idea of the warning that comes from the, the, the Feast of Trumpets, does it not? To sit there and say, we have a tendency as a people to drift, to take our eyes off the redemptive work that God has done and to place our eyes back on the day-to-day, in-and-out, typical cyclical rhythm of our lives. We have a tendency to do that. And yet there is a warning that goes out, a warning that says, do not look away from God. Do not forget what God has done. Do not forget that a day of judgment is coming for these things. And so even their shift in the festival, I think, teaches us a principle. Now, so so, so we see that idea there, but then like we've done with all the other festivals, we want to know how it is fulfilled in the New Testament. So how do we, how is the feast of trumpets fulfilled in the New Testament? Before we hit that, let me kind of do a precursor statement. It's something we've talked about many times before, but just to remind and refresh us. There's one aspect that we, that we need to talk about that pertains to all three of the remaining festivals. Festival of trumpets, festival of the day of atonement, and the festival of booths or tabernacles. All right? The three, the four previous festivals that we've already talked about, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and the summer festival of Pentecost, all have obvious New Testament fulfillments, all right? Largely because of the dates on which they fall. So as we've talked about before, the crucifixion happens on Passover. Uh, unleavened bread begins While Jesus is in the grave. First fruits happens on resurrection Sunday. The feast of weeks is celebrated on the day of Pentecost. Okay. And so there is an obvious um, fulfillment replacement idea going on, right? Passover was the, the image, the shadow, the crucifixion is, is the fulfillment. All right. But here's the problem. When we get to, This festival, the fall festivals, the festivals towards the end of the year, all of a sudden, we have a harder time drawing a perfect line from an Old Testament type to a New Testament fulfillment. So that is to say, interestingly, the Feast of Trumpets is not mentioned specifically by name in the entire New Testament. Okay? And we go, that's weird. That should, that should, we have, that that probably should make us go, well, what's going on there? Well, I think the case is, is this, is that once we get to these last three festivals, we start getting into that idea that we talk about over and over again of an already not yet fulfillment. Okay. There is something that is already, but not yet. Okay. It ties into what we mentioned a few weeks ago about sanctification too, about the indicative and the imperative. There's something that you are, and yet you were commanded to live out that thing that you already are, right? And that seemed weird to us. So in a sense, it was already true, but in an, also a sense, you had to do it for it to be true, all right? We see the same thing, this idea of already, not yet. There are all kinds of aspects that we get to in the Bible where the Bible does, it talks about things in both ways. It says this has already been accomplished, and yet at the same time, it will be accomplished in the future. And and what I'm suggesting to you is that all three of the last festivals fall into that category, whereas the other four have a solid fulfillment in the New Testament. The other three are already not yet festivals. They have begun to be fulfilled. And yet there is a greater fulfillment that is to come. Or a continuing fulfillment, possibly, in the case of Feast of Trumpets. So again, when we get to the New Testament, there's not a single reference to the the festival of trumpets, which just is weird. The only possible exception is that it talks about in one of Paul's journeys that he was already running late for the trip that he would want to make because it was too late in the year and they were already past the fast. That fast is probably the Feast of Trumpets, though we don't even know that for sure. It's just, it lines up with the dating. So that's just like a passing vague reference to that. Other than that, we have no other reference to the Feast of Trumpets in the New Testament. Um, probably, um, we could go, I mean, not probably, we certainly could go and see lots of passages about the blowing of trumpets. Um, about the significance of that that plays in different places, the Lord's second com- coming, it says, will be accompanied by the blast of trumpets. Um, each of the judgments in Revelations eight and nine are preceded by a trumpet blast. But again, that's not the same thing. We're not just looking for the idea of somebody blowing a trumpet. We're looking for the specific holiday. Um, so what's the what's the connection there? Well, I think the case is is this is in the New Testament, the the trumpet blast is still going on, all right? And it's still doing the same thing it did before. It is reminding people of God's work in redemptive history. It is declaring the majesty of God in the world. And just again, as the shofar called the Jewish nation to attention and repentance preceding the Day of Atonement, it is still warning people of the coming Day of Judgment. It is still warning people to be awake and ready and prepared for the Day of Judgment that is coming. And so so you say, cool, Ash, well then, again, what is the Feast? And I would say it's, it's at least two things. The Feast, for one, or the Feast of Trumpets, is for one, Jesus, okay? Jesus is the trumpet. All right? Jesus is the one who has come to do those things that we just said, to announce the kingdom, to announce God's sovereignty, to remind people of God's redemptive work, to declare the coming day of judgment, and to be prepared for that. Jesus is the trumpet. Here's a cool thing. We see this over and over again, and we've even mentioned it as we've gone through the book of Luke, is how central it is to Jesus' ministry to proclaim the word and the gospel. All right, so let me give you a couple of examples. Things that if you've been with us the whole time for Luke, you'll remember. Do you remember when Jesus at the beginning of his ministry goes to uh, to the synagogue in Nazareth, right? And they ask him to read from the scroll of Isaiah and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he zooms in on a section and the section says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Here's a cool thing that I had not even paid attention to, I don't think, even though we went through that passage. Did you notice that there's only one thing Jesus has come to do in that passage? Did you notice that? It says he is anointed by the Spirit, but there's only one thing he's come to do, and it says he's come to do it three times. He has come to proclaim. He's here to proclaim good news. He's here to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the, um and, and to proclaim the setting of the, of, at liberty of the, of the oppressed, and he is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, all right? Obviously, he's going to heal and do other things, but not in that passage. The ministry of the Messiah coming, who is anointed by God and the Holy Spirit, his job is to do what? To proclaim, to proclaim, to proclaim. All right, to blast the trumpet of the message of, of the salvation of God. Just in that same chapter, further down in Luke chapter four, we maybe you remember this sermon. We went through it, and it says Jesus comes down to the bottom of that passage, and he says, "This is his words to his own disciples." I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well for I was sent for this purpose. Okay again like I'm I'm sure probably most of us if you if I asked you hey why did Jesus come you would say well he came to die on the cross for us and you would totally be right okay but all I can tell you is at the beginning of God uh, beginning of Jesus ministry if you had asked Jesus why he was there why he had come he would have said I'm here to preach the good news. I'm here to proclaim the good news, okay? I'm here to be a trumpet and to announce God's kingdom coming. Book in that with Luke chapter four, go to the other end of the gospel, Luke chapter 24 says, these are my words that I spoke to you while this is the scene where Jesus is standing. All of a sudden, the disciples are having a meal in a closed room. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is standing among them like he just woke through, walked through the wall or appeared out of nowhere. And he says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in this, in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I came across a fascinating insight from that passage. Okay. Jesus in that passage connects crucifixion, resurrection, and the third leg is the preaching of the gospel. Okay. That is an incredible revelation guys. Like if you'd asked me, what's the core of all this? Like what are the three things that are most important in this, the ministry of Christ and how he's working salvation out for the world? I'd have said the cross, the resurrection, and then I'd have gone probably the Holy Spirit descending, maybe the ascension or something like that. Not according to that passage in that passage, the third leg. Is the preaching of the gospel that is going to go forth throughout the history of the world. That's the third leg. Jesus dies. Jesus is resurrected and that message is taken to the world and preached. Okay. Which brings me to the second aspect of what the trumpet is. And the trumpet is Jesus is the, however you want to talk about it, the inauguration of the fulfillment of the trumpet. He is the already of the fulfillment of the trumpet, but we, are the continuing, the not yet aspect of the trumpet, all right? We are the other piece of it, specifically or maybe particularly the ministry of preaching the gospel, okay? So the unique thing that is going on that I am participating in right now is a function of the Feast of Trumpets, to declare the praise of God, to declare the kingdom of God, to warn people of the coming judgment. But it's not just up here, right? It takes place every single time a follower of Jesus Christ somewhere tells the message of the good news of the gospel. Every single time they call people to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. Every time anybody does that, we are living out the ministry of the Feast of Trumpets, right? We are the fulfillment of that Feast of Trumpets. And so again, I think there's a warning for us in that and a remembrance for us in that because here is the scary thing is that have we also done what Israel did in the celebration of the festival where we have taken the redemptive emphasis of it and yet we have fallen back into our daily lives in the regular in and outs of everything that we do, and we have assigned to our lives a typical, cyclical, secular motive to things, and we have ignored the redemptive significance that God has placed on us, the calling that he has placed on our lives. And again, I think we do that in the context of our daily lives, okay? As we go. We preach the gospel. We tell people about Jesus. We share the good news. We give the warning. We do all those things, all right? But the church is the trumpet. Christ is the already trumpet. The church is the not yet or the continuing trumpet. And we are calling to people, begging people to heed the gospel, to hear what God has offered, to respond to it in obedience and faith, and to turn to God. All right. And so as we live out that festival of trumpets, I think you could basically say that uh, when is the Feast of Trumpets in the New Testament? The Feast of Trumpets is now. It is the church age. The Feast of Trumpets has, in a sense, been going on since Pentecost, the first Pentecost, not the one in June, the original Pentecost. Since the church was established as the church through the power of the Spirit, We have been in the feast of weeks in a sense, where we are going to the world and saying, repent and believe the gospel. So what does that lead us to in the here and now? Maybe obviously it's probably obvious, but, but just to zoom in and make a fine point of it. Okay. It is, it is behooven on us to one, to heed the gospel, right? We have to be people who have received it ourselves. If the warning call has gone out, as the good news has been announced by Jesus Christ and all those faithful followers of Jesus down through the ages of which you are the product, it's an incredible thought to think of 190 years of gospel proclamation coming out of a little church on a creek in East Tennessee. But it is an even greater thing to think about the entire ministry of God's church going down through the centuries, right? To think of all those faithful people, to think of the fact that you exist today, because of the lives of so many different people, and I hope, and you know, I don't know this about everybody, it may be the case that many of us come from families where there wasn't a gospel presence recently or maybe even in a long time. We might look through the history of our family if we could and say, and there's not been much in the way of a gospel witness there in a long time, and yet at the same time, there is other influences. There is gospel, of the gospel voice going out in communities that has brought us all to a certain point. I mean, we're a part of all of that. And so what I would say is this, heed the gospel, all right? Believe it, hear it, stake your life on it. Um, we have to do that. If you haven't received the gospel, then now is the time to do that. There's no other time. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about what God has called you to do worry about the fact that he has offered something to you in this moment and heed the trumpet of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to die in a place of sinners. All right. So we have to heed the gospel. Then I would say this too, is we should be under the regular trumpeting of the gospel. All right. And so that means I would encourage you sort of in line with this thing we're going to do in a couple of weeks. You need to be under the preaching of God's word. I'm not in any way claiming that I'm the best person for that, okay? But I think I am the person that uh, we have entered into community with each other, and you have uh, decided that you want to be a part of this community, and I'm the one who ends up being the, the the voice piece for that gospel on a weekly basis. And so what I would do is I would say, I encourage you to be here. I encourage you to let yourself sit under the preaching and the teaching of God's word. Let the Hear the trumpet each week. Because we need to hear the trumpet. We all do. Now, obviously, that's not the only place you hear it. I hope you are going and you're in the word on your own, okay? And so, in a sense, you are trumpeting it to yourself, right? You're you're just practicing in your own house, right? You are playing, um, blowing the trumpet so that only you can hear it, and that's good. We need to have that. I hope that you're in... Bible study type relationships where you were in community with people and you're talking about the word. I hope it's not even that formal all the time. I hope you're just, as you go in life, you're, you're talking about the Bible and you're sharing about these things, you know, in in preparation for this sermon um, my brother and I have a little bit different views on a lot of, of sort of end times kind of things or whatever. And so I was kind of like, Hey man, like what's the background for some of this stuff in, in the guys that you like to listen to, like, how do they talk about these issues in terms of things or whatever? And that was just a casual conversation. We weren't sitting down and like committing to a a, a time of study. We were just having a conversation. And yet the word of God was, was, was going back and forth between us and just, we were sharing in it. Okay. I hope that you have those kind of relationships where you can just casually talk about God's word with people. But you should regularly hear the trumpet sound because it is not just a message of salvation. It is a message of warning for us to be awake, to be on guard as we go throughout our lives. And then the last one is, man, you should be sounding the trumpet. You should be sounding the trumpet in whatever opportunities you have, whether that is a formal kind of teaching time or something like that, or it is just a conversation that you have with a friend. You cannot sit back and say, It is other people's job to trumpet the gospel. No, it is your job to trumpet the gospel. It is your job to say to those around you, uh, be encouraged. Jesus Christ has died for you and be warned. There's a day of judgment coming and we can't ignore that. We can't pretend like it's not going to happen. So heed it yourself, sit under the trumpet and be a trumpet to those around you. All right. So what I want to do is as we close today, I just want to go to the Lord and, and pray in terms of those things, all right? If we are here today and we have not received the gospel, if the, if the announcement of the good news of the gospel has come to our ears, the message that Jesus Christ has come into the world, to save sinners by living a perfect life in our place, dying a perfect death in our place, and defeating death and hell and sin and Satan in the grave through his victorious resurrection. If you haven't heard that, or you don't know it, or you've always said, I'm just gonna hold that at bay for a little bit longer because I wanna have that grace, Ash, but I just don't want it quite yet, then today is the day of salvation. You need to make that decision and turn to Jesus Christ and heed that gospel. So let's pray that God would work that if there's anybody in this room who has not done that. Also, let's pray that we would be committed to being recipients of that. That we'd be recipients of the trumpet of the word and of the gospel going out into the world. And that we would be faithful to be the people who sound the trumpet of the gospel to the world. So let's go Lord, the Lord and, and, and ask that he would work these things in our lives. Father God, what an inca- incredible grace uh, your warning is. God, you don't owe us a warning. Um, you have called us to obedience. You have told us of the consequences. And you don't owe us anything else. And yet, um, in your grace and mercy to your people throughout history, you have warned them. Warned them through the prophets. Warned them through the word. Warned them through... Um, The teachers and preachers of your word, God warned us by the loving word and faithful example of believers that we have among us. God, you have blessed us with a warning. So we thank you for that warning. We thank you for the offer of the good news of the gospel that has been trumpeted to the world. We thank you that God, that we can be saved, not of our own works and not of our own power, but because you have chosen in your grace to save us through your son. We thank you for the offer of the gospel. We thank you that that word even now is going out through all the world, that new people each day and month and year are hearing uh, the word of God for the first time, that the Bible is being translated into a language that they can understand for the first time. God, that the church is growing uh, by leaps and bounds all over the world as people come to know your son. God, we thank you for the blessings of that trump being sounded to the world. We ask that you would help us to be that trumpet and to receive the 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 word and the sound of that trumpet. That each week that we would place ourselves under uh, the uh, the truth and the announcement and the proclamation of the word of God, whether that be in in. Congregational worship in our small groups, in our conversations, in our private study. God, that you would, uh, impress upon us the seriousness and the, the importance of the way that you use the proclamation of the gospel in our daily lives. God, that you would help us push through all of the the nervousness and the trepidation um, God, the fear that comes along uh, with declaring the word of God and the gospel to other people, that you would help us to, um, God, recognize the, the great uh, honor it is um, to be called to, um, as your word says, to be the watchman on the wall, uh, to warn people of the coming judgment and to offer them the goodness of salvation uh, by the gospel. God, what an incredible honor it is to be called to that work. Help us to live faithfully in terms of those things. Help us to follow uh, and to, like Jesus, center our lives um, around the proclamation of the gospel. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.